If you'll take your Bibles and open to Romans chapter 12, and we'll continue our study through the book. Since the church is God's primary instrument in both developing uh, Christians and, and, and reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the logical question for each of us to ask ourselves is, where can I find my place in the body of Christ? Where is my place within the local church? And then we should ask ourselves, how do we all fit together in this local assembly which has been divinely designed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What is my part in it? And I trust you're asking those kinds of questions this morning. And before we get into it, I want to do a quick review to kind of see the flow of Paul's thoughts as we've kind of taken a side trip the last couple of times talking about what we believe on the spiritual gifts and the sign gifts. So to get back in, at the end of Romans chapter 11, Paul just breaks out in this great doxology of praise to God for his infinite wisdom and his grace and his majestic plans. And, 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 and Paul recognizes that everything comes from God and through God and to God, and it's all for his glory. And, and then he writes, just after this doxology, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So verse 1 of chapter 12 transitions from the praise of that doxology to the practice from, from a, a wondrous view of who God is and his wonderful gospel that we've talked about in the first 11 chapters to how it impacts our daily lives. And, and God's glorious mercies in the gospel not only save us, and we're grateful that they do save us, but even more than that, they also empower us so that we can worshipfully sacrifice ourselves before God in service to one another. And instead of having our, our, the world shape our mindset and, and taking our values from the world, we seek our truth from God's Word, from the Bible. And that renews our thinking. And we begin to uh, have a trusting obedience which flows from that transformed heart. And that's what God wants from each one of us. And so as we do that, Paul says, we prove God's will is good, is pleasing, and perfect. And then he goes on and says, if you're a Christian, you have been gifted by God to serve and bless other people within the church. But the way of knowing what your gifts are and the way of using them isn't to take a spiritual gift survey. Anyone do that prior times? There used to be surveys that you'd take and it'd tell you what your gift was and all that. The first step is to receive the mercies of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and be moved by a faith that yields everything that we are to him. And before we can even do that, we need to know we're a sinner. And Paul's talked about that in the first 11 chapters. We don't have anything to bring to God on our own to earn our salvation. Our sins deserve a penalty that nothing we offer can ever pay. None of our gifts, none of our service, none of our deeds are able to make up for our guilt and the punishment we deserve. And that's the bad news that leads us to cry out to God for mercy that's only found in Jesus Christ. We see ourselves as hopeless and helpless unless God does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And thank God, he has done so in Jesus Christ, has he not? 
God has shown mercy by coming to this earth as the God-man, Jesus, who, who lived a perfectly sinless life. He died a sacrificial death, and he rose victoriously, never to die again. His life was 100% holy, 100% perfect, 100% righteous. He kept the law of God exactly. He was without sin, and he is infinitely valuable. And his death paid sin's penalty completely for all who trust in him. So, so now, all who trust in Jesus as their Savior receive his righteousness because our sins have been paid for on the cross. That's the mercy that God offers to each and every one of us. And that's the only mercy that grants us everything that's needed to be right with God now and forever in the future. So God's mercies in Jesus ignite the response in us that Paul talks about in verse 1 and 2 that, that say, I, I, I trust this gracious God. I, I want all that he commands of me to be present in me in my doing." And with that kind of response of, of a mercy-motivated faith, if you will, read how the next three verses funnel our response into the life of the church. Verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We're told how we're not to think. Don't be proud. Uh, don't, don't take the credit for whatever gifting God has given you. Don't elevate your gift over other people's gifting. Don't, don't do that. That's not the way to do. Instead, rejoice that God has given each and every one of us gifts by his Holy Spirit, and we're to be functioning members of the local body of believers. And it's that sense of interconnectedness that links us together with a mutual need for one another, with a mutual love for one another, with a mutual desire to serve one another. You know, I don't need to tell you this, but as you look around, we're all different, aren't we? And some of you are more different than others. I won't point fingers. But we need to appreciate that God planned for his church to be, a, to be a diverse gathering of people. And the way that we experience unity in Christ is by serving one another, by giving and receiving the ministry that each one of us has. So even though we're diverse, we're unified, we're one body. And so then in verses 6 through 8, Paul leads us into the, that emphasis on the use of our spiritual gifts by every Christian as a member of the church. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, so here's what Paul's telling us. If you have received God's mercies and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to follow him and you humbly see your importance in the body of Christ, then you will be useful in ministry one to another. In other words, if you grasp the good news of the gospel and you love your Savior, Jesus Christ, then you will value the representation of his body here upon this earth. You will love the church. You will serve the church in however the Spirit has gifted you and in however he gives you opportunity. 
So with that as an introduction and a review, let's pray and then look at the next six gifts that Paul mentions here. Father, we come before you thanking you that you have uh, ordained the church as uh, your uh, hands upon this earth during this time. Father, we thank you for bringing into existence this local body of believers known as Ashland Bible Church. Thank you for gifting each and every one who attends here. Father, we would pray that each one of us would serve using the gifts that you have given us so that we might uh, not only glorify you, but that we might uplift and encourage one another uh, to live a more holy life, more pleasing to you. So as we talk about some of these gifts today, we pray that you would open our eyes and minds to see what you have for us. And Father, that we would not only see it, but that we would uh, obey it and do it, that we would serve one another as you have gifted. Help us in this, we pray in your name. Amen. So as I've said before, Paul gives us a a list of some of the spiritual gifts here, and this list of gifts is not comprehensive. Uh, You go to some of the other places and it lists other gifts. I don't believe any of these lists are comprehensive, comprehensive. even if you compile them all, I think there's probably more giftedness, Uh, but it gives us broad categories uh, of what some of the gifts are, And, and so these are a sampling, a general description of gifts that oftentimes overlap with one another and are actually more like colors of a palette where there's different shades of each gift because God gifts each one of us uniquely along that line. I'm told that a local company where a daughter of mine works has over 6,500 different colors that you can choose from. Okay, that blows my mind because in my physics class they taught there were three primary colors and three secondary colors, right? That's six colors. But apparently if you blend them you get a whole lot more than that. And that, that's what God does with the spectrum of colors, if you will. He used different colors of giftedness for us oftentimes at different stages of life or in different situations or different contexts. And the key for us is to be pursuing a sacrificial worship of God and being open to opportunities to love and serve others. And then as we experience various desires and burdens and God lays things on our heart, we can examine those with this biblical palette of colors to direct us in the way that God wants us to minister. And by the way, All of these gifts have smaller, more specific context in which each and every one of us are commanded to do these things, okay? Don't forget that. All of us are to lead others in some degree, whether it's your own family or whatever it might be. Uh, We can find New Testament commands that tell each and every Christian, I need to slow down. We can find New Testament commands to each and every Christian that we should be exhorting and teaching and showing mercy and giving and serving. We're all commanded to do these things. So these areas of giftedness are commands for all of us at a basic level, but we each also have more focused grace gifts where we have a greater uh, God-given ability or giftedness in some of these areas. And so as you can imagine, there are millions of ways to exercise these gifts. It's as if Paul is is drawn to the conclusion and and says to each one of us, here's the gifts, but do something. Do something. Don't don't allow yourself to read these verses and ignore them. They're meant to be practiced within the local body of uh, of the church. This is what the church should look like. Uh, As Peter wrote, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. What's he saying? Use it. 
Paul wrote to Timothy and urged him, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. He's writing that to us as well. Do not neglect the giftedness that God has given you. Do not ignore it. Do not pack it away. Instead, use it. I'm told, uh, and I'll murder the name, Niccolo Paganini. Paganini. He's a violin player, very famous. Uh, when he died, he, uh, before he died, he didn't will it after he died. He was, uh, anyway, he willed his personal violin to the city of Genoa in Italy. But it was willed under one condition, that it would never be played again. It had to be preserved and not played. There's something wrong with that, isn't there? Well, Paul wrote to the Ephesians that we as believers were created as Christ's workmanship unto good works. We were created for service. In other words, we were all meant to be played. In a good sense, not in a bad sense, right? Jesus calls us to a life of participation in the local church using the gifts he's given. In fact, Jesus once startled his potential disciples by saying, if you want to lose your life, keep it to yourself. But if you want to find life, be prepared to give your life away. And that's what he says to us today as well. So, so let's look at these gifts that Paul mentions here. Remember, we talked about prophecy last week, so we're going to pick up the next six, the final six. And the first of those is, is service. As we move into verse 7, he talks about service. If your gift is service, he says, then use that gift in serving. Sounds kind of broad and generic, doesn't it? I think it was supposed to be that way. It would take a list longer than the whole Bible to describe all the ways that God gifts people to serve in the church. And the expressions of this gift of service are as broad and as wide as are, as are the number of people and the opportunities that God gives to us. But that's the idea. However God has gifted you to serve, worship God by, and enjoy your part in the body by serving one another. Uh, serving in the next two, teaching and exhorting, don't have an explanatory phrase about how to do it. It just says, if your gift is service, serve, right? Faithfully pursue using your gift in the ways and contexts, wherever and whenever you have opportunity. And this word for serving is, is from the uh, root from which we also get the word deacon, right? And here it's not just talking about deacons, though. Because this word is also translated ministry, and it's used in Acts of ministry of the word. In 2 Corinthians, it's ministry of reconciliation. Uh, the verb form is used in 1 Peter 4 for serving with any gift. So, so here's a way to divine the gift of service. Being gifted to serve is seeing a need and wanting to meet it. Being gifted to serve is hearing of an opportunity and wanting to do something about it. Being gifted to serve is wanting to help others because that's just what drives you. That's what you love to do. And think about how crucial this gift of serving is. Isn't it the essence of what Jesus himself modeled? You remember just before the Last Supper, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. You know, every church must have people gifted to serve or nothing will ever be accomplished. Because everyone's going to stand around. If no one's gifted with service, everyone's going to stand around uh, talking about what to do and who should do it, but they'll never actually get to doing it. So if you have the gift of service, serve. 
Simple enough, right? Uh, if you think you have the gift of service, but your attempts make other people uh, feel insulted, uh, maybe you don't have the gift of service, okay? Move on to something else. But one of the measures of our spiritual gifts is that others are spiritually helped by our using it. A spiritual gift is a fruitful form of love one for another. So service, it's broad. You see something that needs to be done, do it. You're serving. And that's what we're all to do, and some are especially gifted in that. Secondly, teaching, like serving, has a broad general definition and application. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 28 that all Christians are to make disciples, right? And to what? Teach them to obey all he's commanded. All of you are commanded to teach. Okay, That'll take different contexts and different places and stuff, but we're all commanded to teach. But some people are gifted in teaching. And the... If you know anything about God, if you know anything about Jesus, if you know anything about the gospel, you should be teaching that to someone, okay? You should open your mouth and express the gospel to other people. That's teaching. Evangelism is teaching, right? So that's part of it. But some are more gifted than others to teach as God enables them to understand and interpret the scriptures and explain the truth. You know, teaching, one person defined teaching as the art of taking an unchanging message and making it understandable to the unlearned. I thought that was a pretty good definition. That means a teacher must what? First understand the truth for himself before he can make it understandable to others. And that's why Howard Hendricks said, uh, the minute you stop learning, you stop teaching. If you're a teacher, then first and foremost, you're a student. And that's the way it should be. And every Christian is to be a student, correct? We're to be constantly learning. So, so teach biblical truth to those who ask about God, who ask about the Bible, who ask about your faith, who ask about your hope. Uh, it's simply taking biblical truth and discovering what it meant to its original audience and what it means for us today, and then sharing it with others. That's all teaching is. And God may have gifted some of you with the gift of teaching. And if so, we, as the body of Christ, want to provide opportunities for you to use that gift. It could be a Bible study in your own home. It could be leading a growth group. It could be filling this pulpit. If God has gifted you as a teacher, what does Paul say? Teach. Teach. So if you're gifted as a teacher, I can't say it any better than Paul does. Teach. Do it. Thirdly, exhortation is the first gift listed, listed in verse 8. But it's the fourth overall and the third of these that merely repeat the same word in the description of how to use it. He who exhorts in his exhortation. You know, exhortation is more than we often think it is. When you hear the word exhort, you may picture someone, knock it off right now. I exhort you. Well, the word exhortation uh, literally means one called alongside to help. Sometimes in exhortation, we have to confront. That's part of it. But, but it's walking along and beside someone as their helper, as their comforter, as their encourager, as their advocate. The ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both described by this word. They were exhorters. They were encouragers. They were comforters. You know, exhorting is not manipulating people. It's not pressuring people. It's applying clear truth to a situation that leads to application and action in their lives. That, that may include a warning against a path of sin and, and calling a person to repent and turn from that sin or, and restoring them with the gospel. It may be encouraging on the path of change and obedience and giving hope and strength in that whole process. It, it may be walking quietly along someone through a trial, through a difficult time, and sharing comforting words when the time is right to do so. 
Oftentimes, you can exhort and encourage just by your presence without saying a word. If God has given you eyes to see other people's burdens, to to discern what what truth may help them, then God has graced you with this gift of uh, exhortation in some measure. You know, we all have issues. We all have burdens. We're all blind to various areas, and we need loving encouragers, exhorters to come alongside to help us along. Even exhorters need exhorters, right? And what a blessing from God to gather into a family of believers where we can trust that God wants to love and help us through the caring words of those who use this gift. What a blessing as well to do so in ways that apply the gospel even to unbelievers, right? To lead them to the mercy that is offered in Jesus Christ. So if you think you have the gift of exhortation, but no one is ever helped by your words or your presence, and instead they're hurt by your words, you probably don't have this gift, okay? Move on to the next gift. In whatever way you're gifted, whether it's serving or teaching or exhorting, enjoy those gifts by using them as God has designed. And then with the last three gifts mentioned here, we see a shift in how they're presented. And now Paul gives a description of how they're to be exercised. So the fourth one is giving. Again, God commands all of us to give, correct? Sacrificially, regularly, cheerfully, in worship and thankfulness to Him. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to store up our treasure in heaven. We're to work, Ephesians 4 tells us, to provide for ourselves and our families and to be able to give and to share with others. So so we're all to give, just as we're all to do these other things. But beyond those commands, which are for all of us, The point of being gifted to give is that some are more able to do so than others. And so rather than calculating down to the very penny 10% of our income and limiting ourselves to that level of joy in giving, the Spirit gives some the joy and the gift of giving 20%, 50%, 90%, whatever it might be. And that's a joy to them and not a hardship. That's the picture we see of the churches in Macedonia that Paul paints for us in 2 Corinthians 8 as they gave abundantly. It says they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. The gift of giving is to be exercised, Paul says, with liberality, which means it's to be generous, it's to be lavish, open-hearted, uncoerced, joyful. It literally says giving is to be done with simplicity, meaning without mixed motives, uh, without wanting to be recognized or or to get some kind of payback for it. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They gave, but not with simplicity. They had other motives involved. Uh, The reality of this gift, uh, as with all the other gifts, is that it brings us joy when we're able to do it. And it's a joy to become a funnel in the hand of God by which he pours out a blessing so we can pour it out to others. And that joy multiplies as we see God blessing other people, and he is honored by that. So so in our materialistic society, we need a renewal of the gift of the Spirit to open all of our hearts to give gladly and generously for God's glory. And just as a side note here, as a church our size, you guys do very well. Thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate that greatly. Some of you have the gift of giving, and thank you for using it. Uh, the next gift he goes into is leading, which can mean standing before other people 
to serve and attend to their needs. But in the New Testament, it's used of directing others. Uh, it's especially used of the role of an elder or a pastor. But there are many opportunities that exist in the church for you to lead in a variety of ways. Maybe God has given you this, the gift of leadership and you want to lead a mission trip somewhere. Or, or a visit, uh, you want to go visit the, the shut-ins and, and lead them. Or, or maybe you want to plan a fun outing or a youth activity, whatever it might be. You have the gift of leading. You like to put those types of things together. With the responsibility and with the gift of leading in any setting, verse 8 says it's to be done with diligence, with eagerness, with zeal. Biblical leading is serving, I think, by, by thinking and planning ahead, considering all the factors and the people involved, and, and prayerfully planning a course of action and, and studying to know what truths apply and, and seeing it through to its very end. Biblical leading is a sacrificial love for others, preparing and seeking what is good for those who follow. You know, leaders have to have followers, right? Those who follow out of care for them. You love them. You want to lead them. It's servant leadership, as displayed once again by Jesus. So if you have the gift of leading, then do so with diligence. And then verse 8 says, if you're gifted to show mercy, do so with cheerfulness. Now, we're all to be merciful, aren't we? Yes. But those gifted to show mercy have a, a deeper sensitivity to see the needs, and then they have the compassion to care for those needs. And those needs may be in sorrow or suffering through loss or, or trials or uncertainties or burdens or circumstances or difficulties. The merciful Christian not only sympathizes with that, but is gifted to give hope and strengthen their faith and meet physical needs and care in whatever way is humble and gracious. And Paul says how this mercy is shown is truly key. It's to be done with cheerfulness, which is literally the word for hilarious or hilarity. Okay, Even when weeping with those who weep, biblical mercy is cheerful mercy. Why? Because our anchor is in the deep-seated joy and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that strengthens us and others in the midst of need. You know, it only makes sense that we're to show mercy with, with cheerfulness or with gladness, right? Who wants compassion with condemnation or commiseration? That's not what we want or need, no. Sometimes we experience that, but that's not what we want. Mercy must be shown with gracious cheer to lift others up. And those who are gifted in this area, they have an incredible ministry that is desperately needed both in the church and in outreach to the world. Mercy may be shown by, by visiting those who can't get out, uh, whose greatest need may be simply to have some company to talk with or somebody to hug or smile at or, or whatever it might be. It may come through visiting the sick or hospital visitation, or caring for kids. Maybe, you know, it would be very merciful, a young mother who's sleep-deprived if you went over and took care of a few things. That's a, that's a service of mercy. But do it cheerfully, not grudgingly. Don't go in there and say, I don't want to do this, but go, go take a nap. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, ministry happens when uh, we reach out to the poor, not only to meet their physical needs, but to lead them to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, so as with the other gifts, the possibilities and the applications are nearly endless. But these general categories are clear enough. God has given us enough here, just in this short list, to see broad ideas in the, way, in the ways that he gifts his people to serve him through serving his church 
and reaching out to the world. The, these are gifts that, that, that are given so that we might enjoy them. They're graciously given for us to enjoy exercising and, and to enjoy being blessed as others use them and bless us and as we serve others. But here's the key, once again. To be able to enjoy the spiritual gift that God has given you, you have to use it. We must all both minister and be ministered to, both serve and be served, both seek to bless and be blessed. And I think that's the thrust of this list that Paul gives us here. With whatever colors from the gift palette that God has graced you with, use your gifts for the glory of God and for the good of those around you. So we've looked at the gifts. Now the question always arises whenever you talk about spiritual gifts, well, how do I know what my spiritual gift is, right? How does God want to use me? Well, let me ask this question. What comes to your mind and what burdens your heart and what kindles your passions and fuels your desires? What needs do you see? What opportunities do you sense? Go do something about it. Okay? I'm convinced that God can do far more than we could ask or think through His Spirit using His gifts in you and I at Ashland Bible Church. Now, maybe you think God can't use you. Maybe you think, well, you know, I, I'm too old, I'm too young, I, I don't have any gifts, I, uh, I'm too new of a Christian. Whatever excuse you might give, you don't think God can use you or has gifted you. Okay, think about this. Noah got drunk and lost his credibility. God used him. Abraham was too old to start a family. God used him. Isaiah was a, uh, Isaac was a daydreamer. God used him. Jacob, well, he had trouble lying, didn't he? God used him. Leah was unattractive, if I can put it that way. God used her. Uh, Moses murdered his enemy. God used him. Gideon was fearful and faithless. God used him. Rahab had a past as a prostitute. God used her. Timothy was too young to earn respect. God used him. John the Baptist, well, he didn't know how to dress, right? God used him anyway. James and John were self-righteous and proud. Peter attempted to murder, and he denied Jesus Christ. God used him. A little boy with a couple of fish and some, some five rolls of bread, he, he was pretty obscure. Do you know, know his name? No. God used him, didn't he? The Samaritan woman, been divorced four times. God used him, her. Zacchaeus was too short. God used him. Lazarus, well, he was dead. God used him. God uses everyone. So let me give a few suggestions regarding your spiritual gift and, and, and how we can discover them. Um, first of all, two words to consider. The first is exposure. If you want to know what your spiritual gift is, expose yourself before God in prayer. Okay, uh, And this step never really ends. It should be ongoing. You find your gifted role in the body through prayer, and you exercise your gift through prayer. You rely on God through prayer at all times. Uh, Corey Ten Boom once asked the question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Think about it. Okay, Pray. First thing to do if you want to know what your spiritual giftedness is, pray. Secondly, there's also exposure before the Word of God for insight. If you're not in the Word of God, you'll never feel close to the family of God. You'll never have a close relationship with God. And so if you want to find your fit in the body of Christ, spend time in the Word of God. Expose yourself to what He says. Thirdly, there's exposure before others for counsel. Let others affirm and encourage your choice of ministry or 
discourage your choice of ministry and tell you to move on to something else. Whatever the case, expose yourself to the opportunities and, and then pray with the facts in front of you. Search the scriptures for insight and direction and talk to others about your, 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 your leanings and your struggles and your desires and your searches. So exposure. Second word, experimentation. Okay? I've come to the conclusion that the best advice I can give a Christian who's walking with God, wanting to be used of the Lord, is simply this one word. You want to know what God wants to do with your life? Start experimenting with different things. What would you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? Where has God blessed your efforts? So if you're not sure where to start, ask. You discover your gift through exposure and through experimentation. And then develop it. The second challenge that comes here is that not only are you to, to discover it, if you will, and, and no, I don't mean we each need to know exactly what our, and, uh, uh, that's a whole different topic, but we're to develop it. Uh, many Christians have the idea that using your spiritual gift includes only those things which come easily and naturally with, with no effort or, or no practice or no study or no hard work. No, that's wrong. A spiritual gift isn't so much a ready-made ability to perform, but rather a capacity for service that can be developed. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take hard work. But if God has gifted you, he will continue to grace you as you develop that gift, and he will use it as you find your peace in the puzzle of the church of God. So discover your giftedness. Develop your giftedness. The third challenge, delight in it. Enjoy it. God has specifically designed you to make a contribution to the body of Christ. And, you know, there are very few things that we come in contact with that will last forever. One of them is the Word of God. The other is people. So your gift is the primary avenue through which you connect people to the grace of God. This is how your life experiences, both good and bad, your passions, your personality, your education, your spiritual interests, all come together through your placement in the body. And you effectively serve one another and bring glory to God by doing that. You know, the Apostle John faithfully taught and evangelized and discipled new believers for years. And he writes this, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. You know, John didn't say, I have no greater joy than to know that I was one of the 12 apostles. No. I have no greater joy than to know I've written five books in the New Testament. No. No greater joy than to hear that his giftedness had allowed people to walk in the truth of God. And that's what, don't sit around and admire yourself. No. Don't, don't think, oh, what a great gift. No. Admire God and thank him for what his divine design in your own life has allowed you to do for other people in service to them. The lives that you teach into, the lives that you reach, encourage, confront, evangelize, restore, disciple, intercede for, whatever it might be. So discover your giftedness, develop your giftedness, enjoy and delight in your giftedness. And the fourth challenge is don't despair because of it. I mean, people will bring you your greatest joy in life, and people will bring you the greatest sorrows in your life. It's your job to continue to serve them. Don't grow weary of doing good. You know, every servant of Christ knows the barren wilderness of serving. When the person you tried to help and you poured your time and effort and life into went right back to their sinful lifestyle, and you think to yourself, I just wasted my time, what's the use? No. God's in charge. We're to be faithful. 
the results are up to him. So, so ask yourself, can I be content with the promise of Jesus that my Father who sees what is done in secret will reward me? Do we believe that? Then keep serving. Will I cling to the promise that my toil is not in vain in the Lord? Then keep toiling. Am I willing to serve Jesus and not care who gets the credit? Keep serving. Am I willing to fail at some of my attempts to serve without giving up completely? You better be, because we all fail. Am I available to keep experimenting, praying, searching, studying, and adapting in my service to God? We must be. You know, I, I love the little story of the, the little boy who was in his backyard, and he had his baseball uniform on, baseball cap, and the pants, and he had his socks pulled up real high, and, and he has his plastic bat out, and he has his plastic ball, and, and he's practicing there in the backyard, and his mother overhears him as he announces, I am the greatest hitter in the world, and he throws up the ball in the air, and he takes the bat, and he swings, and he misses, and he says, strike one. He picks up the ball and says again, I'm the greatest hitter in the world, throws the balls up, ball up, takes a swing, misses again, strike two. He retrieves the ball and says even with more determination, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws the ball up just a little bit higher than before. He gets set, he swings the bat with all his might, and he misses. Strike three, he says. And then he shouts, I am the greatest pitcher in the world. Do we adapt that easily? You know, you might dream of being a power hitter for God, but instead God wants you to be a pitcher or to sit on the bench or to be a cheerleader or to join the practice squad or wash the uniforms or purchase the equipment or, or mow the outfield or whatever it might be. All of it's necessary to pull off the game. Every giftedness is necessary in the body of Christ. One is not more important than the other. The fifth challenge is a well-worn phrase, but you can hear it in the middle of Romans 12, verse 6. Each of us is to exercise our gift accordingly. In other words, once again, don't just stand there, do something. To quote Nike, just do it. Just do it. You might say, well, I won't do anything until I discover my gift. Well, one author wrote tongue-in-cheek, but we get the point of what they were saying. Even God can't steer a parked car, okay? Get in gear, look around, move forward, make an appointment, call someone, open your eyes, step out in faith, do something, just do it. There are so many things that can be done in the body of Christ. Don't sit around and wait to magically feel gifted. When you're walking across the parking lot and you see some trash, don't ask, do I have the gift of service? No, no, just pick it up, throw it away, okay? That's simple. If you see a child walking down the hallway crying, doesn't know where parents are, don't ask yourself, well, do I have the gift of mercy or should I find somebody with the gift of mercy? No, just help, just do it. If a primary church teacher doesn't show up, you don't need to hold a prayer meeting asking God for more workers. No, roll up your sleeves, dive into the joy of teaching the future leaders of our church, okay? Just do it. You might have the time of your life you might find that that's where God has gifted you. Discover your gift is important. Know where God has gifted you to some degree. Develop it. Delight in it. Don't despair in it. Just do it. Okay? And what happens as a result? There's great diversity working in unity for the glory of God within the body of Christ. Individual movement without disconnection. Moving parts without division, if you will. You know, I, I, I knew this was going to be a long sermon, 
uh, I was going to have Max bring his Rubik's Cube, and we were going to have a contest, see who could do it. But a Rubik's Cube is a perfect picture of a church as well, right? It moves all sorts of different directions, and yet it's interconnected, and there's a pattern. And anyway, if you want to know all about it, talk to Max. I, he would have, yeah, I've never completed one. Anyway, independent actions as God has gifted us. Thousands of possibilities, but all with a passion to further the cause of Christ. And I know I'm over time, but I'd be remiss not to mention a few warnings as well. Uh, four wrong attitudes about this subject of using your gift in the body of Christ. The first wrong attitude says, I'm not going to do anything unless it's in my gifted area. Don't do that. I mean, don't say, I can't do that. That's not my gift. Don't do that. Uh, what happens if you try that at home? Your wife asks you to take out the trash say, oh, honey, my spiritual gift isn't service, it's leadership. You do it. Yeah, good luck with that. No, you just take out the trash. Keep your mouth shut, right? Or, or you tell your kids to clean the room and they say, but dad, my gift isn't helps, it's mercy. Yeah, might be a good thing because they're going to need a lot of mercy, aren't they? Yeah. If you use the phrase, that's not my gift, you're building fences and boundaries. Don't do that. Don't box God in. Don't try to hide in that way. If there's a need that you can meet, just do it. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum is, is the, the, the exhausted servant of Christ who hasn't really attempted to find God's special gifting in their life because they're too busy doing everything. And their attitude, uh, of which I also warn, is I will do anything in any area as long as there are needs. We do need people like that. That's commendable. Yet, ultimately, it's going to be self-defeating if it's not in their area of giftedness. This is especially true when needs arise where this servant has no desire to work, has no training, has no experience, has no objective, but they're willing to do it. We appreciate the attitude, but don't do everything. Uh, the church needs much more than just warm bodies to fill slots. That's not what it's about. Uh, have you ever been taught by someone who obviously did not have the gift of teaching? How did that go? Yeah, we don't want that. You know, needs don't always represent the will of God for you. How does all this work together? I don't know. You can figure it out. Uh, another attitude that needs a warning is the attitude that says, I will never change in my area of service. One of the interesting things to note is these gifts, I think, could be described as developmental in the life of the believer. In other words, as you grow in Christ, you begin to teach others God's truth. You begin to have a heart of service and compassion and mercy for the needy. Uh, you desire to see God's work advance, so you give to the cause from your resources. In other words, while every believer is empowered to serve effectively in at least one area of ministry, every believer will develop in other areas as well. Don't limit yourself to one. This means that, that what you're doing today may also possibly change later on, okay? That is why you continue in prayer as you grow in Christ with what God wants you to do. One more attitude that needs a warning is the attitude that says, I'm waiting for God to give me a sign before I begin to use my gift. Consider this sermon, this word from Paul, your sign today, okay? God's telling you. God has spoken. Hear the words of Paul to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Timothy's gift, or at least one of them, was teaching, and Paul encouraged him, don't neglect it, don't let it die out, use it, fan the embers into a flame. And the truth is that every one of us has a place in the puzzle of Christ's body. That means that every one of us has a role to play. 
So play it. As in any puzzle, there's no such thing as an insignificant piece. All the pieces directly or indirectly interlock with one another. And we borrow and we depend on each other's special contributions, their gifts as we display the full puzzle picture to the world of the grace and the glory of our great creator, Jesus Christ. So pray with me that we all might use our gifts for our joy, but ultimately for his glory. Let's pray. Father, how we need you to give us a passion, a diligence, a grace, a desire to serve with the gifts that you have given us. Help us as we find our fit in the body of Christ that we might display the full picture of what the church should look like, what the church should act like, what the church should sound like for this local body of believers. We pray that we might glorify you and advance your cause, your name, your gospel in a world that so desperately needs us. Help us to serve one another out of a heart of love for you, and may you be honored and glorified. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.